this is Candace Pringle, lead pastor of FE Church, and this is our podcast. All right, suits up number seven. Can you believe <laughs> we've been doing this for seven weeks? It doesn't feel that long to me, but we are at the last and final piece of the armor of God after seven weeks. And so it's been a long series, but a really, really good one, I think. I hope that you agree. I've, I've heard from so many of you this series, actually, that this has helped so much. I'm so glad the Holy Spirit led us here. I, I think the next one is going to be just as impactful, sort of continuing the theme. I got that piece from God this morning, I think. And I'm really excited about the direction that God is moving us in. Don't forget, next week is going to be a little bit different. It's still going to be suit up, number eight, actually, but um, we're doing a Q&A next week with some people who are good at this stuff, <laughs> that are actively delivering people um, that are, have really been working on this. And so very, very excited about that. Don't forget to submit your questions. If you have questions still about any of this, submit them. There's a bucket in the back um, or you can go to the sermon notes, fe.church slash sermon notes, and don't miss next Sunday. We're going to wrap up the series really well. Here's some testimonies. It's going to be awesome. Okay? Be here next week, first week of October. All right. Let's dive into this. I'm Honestly, this is the week that I have been looking forward to <laughs> for the whole series, the sword of the spirit. I love the word of God. I love the word. I know it's sort of, you expect a pastor to say that, right? I mean, yeah. But I love the word of God. I absolutely adore it. I live and breathe it. It's one of my favorite things on the planet to do, to study it, to, to research it, deep dive into it. I'm kind of obsessed with it, actually. And I, I am so lucky. I'm, I'm grateful to God that I get to do that on a daily basis. But you know what? It wasn't until I started preaching the word, it was Mother's Day 2016, that I first preached on this stage. Um, it wasn't until I started preaching it that I really began to know it, to not just know kids' ministry stories, right, but to know, like to hide it within my heart, as the word says, um, and it's really been my mission ever since to help other people know it, love it, study it. It's one of my favorite things to do and to teach and to talk about. And so here we go. Well, you're going to get sort of a crash course into my favorite subject today. Okay, are you ready? At least, at least as it pertains to the armor of God. <laughs> okay, Ephesians 6, verse 13. I feel like maybe you guys could say this with me now, right? But maybe we all have it memorized after so many weeks of saying it, but... Therefore, put on every piece of God's armor so you will be able to resist the enemy in the time of evil. Then after the battle, you will still be standing firm. Stand your ground, putting on the belt of truth and the body armor of God's righteousness. For shoes, put on the peace that comes from the good news so that you will be fully prepared. In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the Spirit which is the word of God. We fight with the word of God. It clearly says that in verse 17 that we finally got to, right? Put salvation on as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, 
which is the Word of God. The sword, just as we've done every week, I want to explain to you a little bit about what Paul was looking at to give you context for this particular verse. The swords that that Paul was looking at at this time in history from his view in his prison cell were called Roman gladiuses, okay? They were double-edged swords, uh, a little on the short side for what we think of. as So we kind of think of like a knight sword, like this big, long thing. But these were only about 18 inches in length, which enabled them to use it with only one hand. Romans also carried a shield, right? So the, those big, long swords, you typically need two hands. Apparently, I learned this this week. Uh, but these shorter swords, you could use with one hand and still carry a shield. It was light and could be maneuvered quickly and with ease, okay? A little handle, sometimes a little bit ornate on the ends, some um, extra pretty pieces. But there was also a knob at the base that could be used as a weapon if needed, um, yeah, typically made of iron. So that's sort of what it looks like. And overall, these swords were used to hold ground, not necessarily take it. found this very interesting this week as I was studying, because the Roman style of taking ground, their style of, their strategy of battle, really, uh, is done more with spears and pikes. They would form these tight units. Has anybody ever seen, like, 300 <laughs> movie? Like, where they... They form these um, tight units with shields interlocked, and they advance forward together as a group, not one-on-one, while thrusting their spears, okay? Once they arrived at the desired position, once they have taken ground, they would use then the short sword to hold the ground individually that they had just obtained together as a unit. So they take ground as a group, Anybody see the significance of this already? Uh, we hold our sword individually. We defend our position individually, but we take ground as a group. And if that's not the perfect picture of the church, I don't know what is. We take ground as a group together. We hold it with our sword. And now, don't get me wrong, a sword is still an offensive weapon, of course. You do have to do some of that, but I think we we take ground as a group. Is a, I think this is going to be the next sermon series title. That's the piece that I got this morning. Take ground, take ground as a group. So over overall, with the armor of God and with spiritual warfare in general, the most important thing as individuals is to hold ground, to still be standing firm. You can even see it in this passage, verse fourteen, right? Stand your ground. Stand your ground. It doesn't say go and take ground here. He's teaching us how to stand our ground, to hold it, hold our positions. The enemy is a thief, remember? Right? More than anything, he wants to take what you already have. He's taken it. He's a thief. God has given us so much. The enemy wants nothing more than to take it. So it's our job as individual believers in everyday life to hold our ground. There, there is an offensive element to this. Okay, we're going to get there. It is a sword, but it wasn't, in general, the Roman strategy for battle offense. Overwhelmingly, what God has given us with the armor is defensive. So, what is the sword for the Christian? 
right? For the believer, what is the sword? Well, Paul tells us pretty plainly here, and I love how he words it so clearly. There is nothing to be misunderstood or misinterpreted here. The sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. The Word of God. Now, typically when biblical authors want to refer to written scriptures, they either use the term graphi, which means writings, or they use the term logos, which means word. Okay, Both terms refer to scripture in its entirety as it was originally written down on paper by the original authors, okay? Graphy or logos, they both refer to the Bible, essentially. The graphy, the writings or the logos, the word of God, it refers to what we call the Bible, the written revelation from God. It's important to note that the second term, logos, can also refer to Jesus as the living incarnate word of God, okay? There is a written logos, the Bible, and a living logos, Jesus, and both are divine revelations of our God. So which term does Paul use here in Ephesians 6.17? Neither, actually. (laughs) Instead, Paul uses the Greek term, and this is important. Hang with me. I'm getting to the point. Paul uses the Greek word rhema. This term differs from graphy and logos in that These latter two terms refer to the entire written word of God. Rhema refers to speaking individual verses or passages from Scripture to help in a particular circumstance or situation. It is an utterance of the word of God, okay? it's Rhema is a spoken word, a specific declaration. This is the word Paul uses here. It's important. While Logos is the written word of God, Rhema is when the written words of Scripture are spoken into our lives for encouragement, for instruction, for correction. This is how Paul used the word. He also uses it in Ephesians 5.26. He writes about the washing of water with the word. The, The written Scriptures just, I meant to bring a Bible up here with me. Greg, would you mind grabbing me one of these Bibles over here? Is there one? Thank you, thank you. This book, just sitting over there on the table, does me no good. Right? This book, sitting right here, this was a brand new one. It's never been cracked when I put this bookmark in it. Doesn't do anyone any good just sitting over there. It must be spoken, used, applied in our lives for it to help us, right? Ephesians 5.26 is when he's talking about the washing of water with the word. The written scriptures don't cleanse us or wash us unless they are used, spoken, applied to our lives. Meaning, it's not just enough to have this in your house. Most of us have lots of Bibles, or a handful of them, gathering dust on the shelf. Not enough. That's not what he's talking about here. That is not a sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit is when we take it off the shelf, read it, use it, live it, speak it, practice it in our lives, right? And the amazing thing about that is when we apply this term, the specific rhema term, it it means that this book is not just one sword, but that each specific revelation that we use in our lives is a sword, 
Meaning, and I, I read a quote this week, Harry Ironside said, the Bible is not the sword of the spirit, it is the armory. There are thousands of swords in the Bible. And every one of them is powerful and two-edged. Right? It says, the, the, let's read it one more time. Put on salvation as your helmet and take the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. It does not say the Bible. It says the word of God. So this is full of swords. And each one can be used individually in your life. Right? Can you get this picture before we move on? So we're going to talk about a couple different ways. How do we get there, right? How do we get to the point where we are using this as a weapon? When we're utilizing the Bible correctly, it becomes rhema in our lives. Okay, so how do we get there, right? It becomes our defense and our offense against the enemy. Three things this morning. First, you have to know it, (laughs) which I feel like is a pretty obvious one. You have to know it. There's two reasons we have to know the words in this book. Number one, we, this is how we know our God. And we have to know it because this is how we know our God. His character, his personality, his wisdom, his ways. They're so much higher than our ways. There is no way of knowing them without hearing from him directly or reading about him directly from his word. It's how we know him. And we can't know ourselves without knowing him. This is the other reason. We have to know it because this is how we know ourselves. We are his creation, his image, his children. Without knowing who he is, how can we possibly know who we are? To know it means to know our God and to know who we are. Until we know him, we can't properly see ourselves and fit into his plans how we fit into his plans. And we have to know it in context. This book was written over a thousand years by 40, over 40 different authors to many different people groups and times in history, okay? One of the worst ways to use your sword is to read it out of context, to read it with our own cultural biases. This is actually a fancy word known as eisegesis, when we read it through our own lens of understanding rather than through the lens of the understanding of the original people that it was written to. Does that make sense? For instance, say you read Philippians 4.13. Anybody know it? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, right? If you don't know the original context of this verse where Paul suffering in prison with a thorn or a weakness that God won't remove, you might interpret it differently. I can win the Olympics, right? I can do all things, right? So I can win the Olympics just by the power of Christ. That's not, that's not what this verse is saying. He's suffering in prison. He can suffer all things through Christ, for Christ. Does that make sense? So to properly wield this weapon, we must learn all we can about it, including the context of certain passages. We cannot know what it says to us until we know what it should have said to the people in that time and place, okay? We study the sword. This is why we, we not only read it, we study it. 
We are meant to study this word, to train with it, really, to know it intimately. I, I grew up with these 66 books. I've been in this church four times a week back in kids' ministry, right? I grew up with it, and yet I am still constantly learning and growing and changing my views on it and about it all the time. God surprises me with it all the time. Like, I think I know. He shows me I just have no idea. Or it's so much deeper than I ever expected it to be. And I plan to do that for the rest of my life. For the rest of my life, God's going to be challenging me and growing me with this book. I will never scratch the bottom of everything that it has to say to me and for me in my life. Not ever. We read our Bibles and study commentaries and we hear sermons preached on the word and we gain a better understanding of what it is and what it says. First Peter 3.15 calls us to be ready, right? To, to be ready to give a reason for the hope that we have. But if we don't have a solid knowledge of scripture, how can I be ready with a proper explanation? Now, atheists and people from other religions, they, they love to twist scripture or point out the more difficult passages and problems, right? Have, have any of you ever read The Case for Christ by Lee Strobel, by the way? It's like a must read for every Christian. I have it linked in the sermon notes. So good for coming back against some of those major arguments. Um, but we have to be ready with an answer to these difficult questions. A lot of times, we're not even ready to answer our own. I, I feel like I hear this a ton from Christians, but like I have so many questions. I have so many doubts. Write them all down and go through them methodically one by one, asking God to help you answer them. Stop just letting them be questions. I've had questions for years, people tell me. Years? Years. Get them answered. There's answers out there. I promise you promise you there's an answer. I will happily help you find it, but get the answer. Don't continue letting it be a question in your mind. Get the answer. Answersingenesis.org, by the way. Just, I promise. Trust me on this. Write it down. Google it right now. Answersingenesis.org. So many answers to the common questions like evolution and the flood and were there dinosaurs for real, right? All of those promise you. They're in there. Hebrews 4.12 says, for the word of God is active and alive. It's alive, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. This is not just a book. It's living. It's active. It's beautiful and inspiring. This is why it's called the sword of the Spirit here. Like not only do we believe that the Bible is the inspired Word of God, inspired through the Holy Spirit, but also the Holy Spirit inspires us with it. Right? This is the double-edged nature of the sword. Not only can it be used against the enemy, but sometimes within us too. <laughs> Right? It's used to change us, to mold us, to shape us into better warriors. It's our training um, method. We've talked about forgiveness and, and the power of humility and some of these spiritual warfare tactics throughout this series. The Word teaches you 
the word teaches you how to do these things, how to forgive, how to be humble. I've read the word so many times and it's humbled me. I thought I knew. (laughs) And God, you just blew everything I thought I knew out of the water, right? It keeps me humble. It calls out forgiveness in me. It keeps me teachable. One of the most important things as a Christian is that we continue to be teachable, growing and changing and learning all of the time, constantly. That when we approach Scripture, we have an open mind to all that it has to teach us. I I like to read sometimes the word in other translations. Like I'm used to reading the NLT, kind of grown up on the NLT. Um, But sometimes I'll just read a verse in the Passion Translation or the Message or King James or just a different translation just because it helps me see it in a whole different way. I, I often fall into like the the way that I have it memorized in my head, the way that I think it is, the what I think it means, right? And another translation will just, I've never read it that way, right? That mean, that has a whole different meaning. And then I have to go to the Greek or the Hebrew, whatever it was written in, and be like, what, what does this actually mean? And figure it out from a whole different perspective. God's word, when we read it all throughout our lives, the same verse can have such different, deeper meanings a whole different area. It's it's amazing the way it's living and active. Once we know it, then we must practice it, though. I specifically use the word practice here. It does no good to, to know the word and do nothing with it. In fact, I actually think it gets a little weird and twisted inside of you when you know it but do nothing with it. I know far too many Christians who don't serve others. They're not reaching anyone for Christ. We're not even attending church, but they know all about the Bible. They have it all memorized. They know they know everything about it. If you aren't practicing it with other human beings, I'm sorry, but the knowledge that you think you know is worthless. If you're not doing the Bible also. Does that make sense? Knowing it is not enough, just like it sitting here on the table is not enough. Practicing it, it might even be worse than worthless when you're not practicing it. It's it's harmful. It gets weird in our heads when we know it, but we're not doing anything with it. It's not meant to sit idle. It is living and active. It's sharp. It judges you, right? When you're not using it and practicing it, that When you're not turning its piercing edge on yourself sometimes, it turns on others. What I mean by that is I've seen Christians, for example, get obsessed with a certain piece. They get obsessed with worship or obsessed with prophecy or obsessed with the book of Revelation or even deliverance. We've been talking about so much in the series. We get obsessed with one area of it. When we're not actively serving other people, and I mean discipling other people, we get way too far into one subject, one, one aspect of the word or of ministry. And we get way too far into it uh, that our witness, our message to unbelievers is way too deep or way too judgmental or something. We lose our perspective that God is so much bigger than any one of those aspects of himself. Does that make sense? We, lo- we lose... 
we leave people in our dust, really. <laughs> Come on, catch up. Can't you, can't you figure all this stuff out? We start to get a little arrogant and prideful about our own quest for knowledge and how, how could you not be passionate about this specific thing that I'm passionate about? I think I was like this with the word for a while because I love worship, obviously. I love giving. I love all the aspects of Christianity, but the word is like where my meat and potatoes comes from. And I think for a while I sort of got judgy with people who weren't that way. <laughs> like it's the word, can't you? Yeah, but they're passionate about worship or some other aspect, right? We are the body of Christ, but we can't get so far into one area that we lose the commander's intent. And this is something, uh, a term I sort of throw around a lot, but the commander's intent is actually a military term that they use when they go out on a mission, right? When a group of guys is sent out on a mission, they're given objectives, right? We've all seen the movies, even if we don't know. <laughs> One, two, three, four, this is what you're meant to accomplish on this mission, right? However many objectives there are, but we know a battle plan never survives contact with the enemy, and so things change when you're actually on the ground. The commander's intent is the bottom line. This is what we must accomplish. If you don't get any of your other objectives accomplished, get this done. This is the whole point of the mission. Everything else is secondary. Right? The commander's intent is the primary objective. We have a commander's intent as warriors for Jesus, too. Jesus mandated us, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. That is our primary objective. If we lose that, but become experts on prophecy, what's the point? If we lose our witness, but we know everything there is to know about deliverance, what's the point? I mean, it's literally what 1 Corinthians 13 is trying to tell us. Right, the, the, We know it as the love chapter, but if I knew all the languages of heaven and earth, all the languages, all, all the languages, if you knew all the languages, just try to picture how big this language is. He's making a very specific point. If I speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would be a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. What is the point? Right? If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all God's secret plans, all of them, and possessed all knowledge. And if I had such faith that I could move mountains, but I didn't love others, nothing. Nothing. What's the point? If we're not using it to love other people, laying down our lives for those out there that are still struggling in darkness, bondage, what's the point? 1 Corinthians 13, 8, moving just a little down in that chapter, prophecy and speaking in unknown languages and special knowledge will become useless. Because at some point, we're all going to know it, right? <laughs> we're all going to be past the point of the prophecies. We're, we're going to be in heaven. No, I mean, at some point, it will become useless, but love will last forever. It goes back to my point last week where I said, the only thing you can take to heaven with you are people. All the knowledge about prophecy, all the knowledge about the demonic world and how to cast it out, and all the knowledge about the book of Revelation and all the knowledge about the, the Bible itself, it will all become useless if we're not loving people with it. 
Now our knowledge is partial and incomplete, and even the gift of prophecy reveals only part of the whole picture. But when the time of perfection comes, these partial things will become useless. I've seen so <laughs> I know it feels like I'm probably <laughs> talking about this a lot in this, past, in this series, but it's that spirit of religion sometimes attaches itself to us, and we think that prophecy is the only or worship is the only, deliverance is the only. It's all about seeing people come to know Jesus. It's all about loving others. Yes, those other things are good. Pursue them too, but not at the sake, at the expense of love. Practicing the word with others in particular, love in action, keeps our feet on the ground. It grounds us as believers. I think sometimes I get in my head about, like, I'll get really deep thinking about a specific spiritual concept, and then, you know, my job is to disciple people, literally my job. <laughs> so I get a text from somebody on a completely different area of discipleship, and I have to wrench my brain from this deep concept that I'm really excited about into this other, like, discipleship keeps my feet on the ground with it. Now I have to go and help somebody else with it, and I'm happy to. But that's why, I think that's why discipleship helps, because I have to be a well-rounded believer to disciple other well-rounded believers. It keeps our feet on the ground. Love also protects us. It keeps us humble, right? First Corinthians 13 goes on to say it's patient and kind. It doesn't envy or boast. It isn't proud or rude, right? Love keeps us humble to love others. It's what the Bible is all about. It's a, it's a love story from our creator to us. Love protects us in that way, keeps us humble. If we can constantly be reminded of how Jesus loved us, daily communion, daily reading the word and practicing it, studying his life and how he lived it with actual other physical people, right? allowing it to renew our minds and change us from the inside out. Can you imagine how much better we would love people if we actually practice these things every day. Like not only is the word, it does the word act as a weapon against the enemy, but it also changes us when we allow it. And I actually think that's where it's the most powerful and effective within us. Cutting out the evil, the selfishness, the sin within us. Because when we are obedient and righteous, we are at our most powerful, and are most safe from the enemy. As 2 Timothy 3.16 says, all scripture is inspired by God and useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we're wrong, teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. That's why I'm always thanking God for the word that it, it's useful to teach us and correct us and guide us and convict us. It's a good thing that it does. But look, the Christian life isn't about just being safe all the time. I think, feel like I need to let that one sink in just a little bit. It's not about being safe all the time. I'm a little concerned that with this series, all I've done so far is scare everyone into thinking the boogeyman is around every corner. <laughs> I'm not kidding. <laughs> I'm a, I don't 
want to just scare everybody, right? Because while I do want you to see that this stuff is real, yes, there is real danger out there. I also want you to see that you, with Jesus at your back, are so much more powerful than any of that. So much more powerful. And this life that we're meant to live as Christians isn't meant to just be safe all of the time. That is not the point that I'm trying to make here. We put on our armor not to just sit in our house and hide, but to go out into battle, right? That's why we suit up. So what if the boogeyman is around every corner? Let him lurk. He can watch me get up in the morning and read my Bible. He can lurk on the sidelines and watch me stay up late and minister to people. He can watch me be kind and resist his temptations all he wants. Follow me around if you want to. You're nothing. Watch me, right? Lurk in every corner because greater is he who is within me than he who is within the world. First John 4, 4. So what? Let him lurk. Bring it on, bro. It's the kind of attitude that being in the word consistently will bring you. You build your faith little by little, teaching your thoughts to obey Christ, and you suit up. Pick up your sword and say, come at me, bro, because Jesus has more power in his little pinky finger than you have in your entire army. Come at me. Try it. I dare you. The sword has the ability to trample any objections to Christianity posed by Satan. A single text can reassure us when the devil assails us with heavy blows. We have 66 books full of the very word and breath of God. We have an armory here. Pick it up and use it. If the word is your armory, the Holy Spirit is your trainer. It's not enough just to have access to an armory. We must also practice with our weapons as a warrior, right? We have to train and have guidance, someone teaching you or you hurt other people or yourself, right? And when you use a weapon you don't know how to use. Before you start looking at me as your trainer, let me remind you again, it's the sword of the spirit, not of the pastor, of the church. The sword of the spirit. I'm talking about the Holy Spirit as your trainer. Paul calls the word the sword of the spirit. He guides us through it. He trains us, corrects us, if we lean on his understanding and not our own. We have to put in the work in practice. But we live in so much fear as Christians. We're not meant to live in this much fear. Jesus didn't do all that work on the cross, getting us free, just to have us go back into fear. And I think a lot of it is because we're not in the word enough to really know who he is and who we are. This is why we hand out the 40 IMs. By the way, I printed... Chelsea actually printed some new ones for me and put them on the serve desk. It's fresh 40 IMs out there if you're, you're never heard of it before or you need a new copy. This is 40 IM statements within the Word that you can claim over your life. Don't just put them on your fridge and never look at it again. Say them out loud. This is Rama, right? We're using the Word, practicing it, not just leaving it on the fridge. We say them out loud over ourselves. I am a child of God. I am redeemed from the hand of the enemy, right? We say these out loud. We're trying to train you to know who you are in Christ. Not meant to hide away from the evil in this world and insulate yourself from it. Go out into all the world. We're meant to be in the world just of different stuff. Stand out 
in the world. We're not meant to hide our light away under a basket or put huge walls up around our city. Put spiritual walls up, not physical ones. <laughs> right? Hide um, your word, your heart in the word. Don't hide away in your house. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to it. Making disciples. We preach good news, not bad news. You can't do that from the comfort of your own home. I mean, sometimes you can. We have technology now, but... <laughs> Metaphorically, you can't do that hiding away in your own bubble, which is why I'm so excited about this next series, but we'll stay focused for now. You have to practice the word. Put it in practice. No one said you had to be perfect at it, by the way. Aaron and I certainly not perfect at it. I've never known a pastor to be perfect at everything this word says. We all mess up. We all fall short. We let our emotions and flesh get the better of us sometimes, but we practice the Bible. It's a practice. We believe it wholeheartedly, enough to do something about it. That's faith. When it says to do something, you try it. Put it to the test. Use the principles in the word to build a life around. For example, when you read that James 5, 13 says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. You take that literally. If you're suffering a hardship, pray about it, right? Are any of you happy? Sing praises. Are any of you sick? Call the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. These are The New Testament is so practical, by the way. It tells you exactly what to do. <laughs> Try it. Come to church. Come to the prayer team. Ask for prayer. There are people here specifically anointed in healing who have been through it themselves. I'm pointing at the Waldies because them. <laughs> right? They're here at the altars offering prayer. There are so many people around these altars that have been through specific things and are anointed to help you through specific things. It's not just the pastor. Like I said, I'm passionate about the word. I want you to know the word, but the Salazar's over here, passionate about deliverance, gifted in it. Waldi's passionate about healing, gifted in it. They've been through it. They know, right? And now they help other people through it. That's the body of Christ. That's why it says, come to the elders of the church. (laughs) We all work together. Latina and I were just talking about this before service. We are an army together. We march together. We take ground together. That is what the church does. And James 5.16 says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Try confession. (laughs) This is uh, examples I'm giving you from the word of specific things to practice. Practice them. James 5 also says not to grumble about each other or you will be judged. It says have patience in suffering like Job did. It says to never take an oath, but just say a simple yes or no. All in the chapter of one, on the space of one chapter of one book. Right? I am challenged by so many things already. How many of you can say that any of the things that I just listed within James 5 challenged by a little bit? <laughs> right? Things that sound so simple and yet they're so difficult sometimes to live out. When it says to do something, try it. Practice it. Step out in what little faith you have and watch God move. Your faith will build over time and become stronger and stronger. But you can't just know it and practice it. You have to live it. Live it. Once you've been practicing for a while, you'll be surprised that one day these things just begin to 
there's second nature all of a sudden. <laughs> you look back and realize, wow, I, I wasn't, and we do this in home group a lot, like wh- how were you when you first got saved or what kinds of things has God taught you since being saved? And we get to kind of look back two years ago, three years ago, 10 years ago. Man, things have changed, changed a lot. God, I didn't even realize it because, you know, you don't often evaluate these things in the moment. But looking back, you can see just how much God has changed. Some of these things change quickly. I mean, I've known God to take away um, addiction behaviors in an instant. And I've also known him to work with people over time, build new behaviors, right? Sometimes it happens quickly. Other times it takes years to master. But after a while, it just becomes second nature. Well, we've been talking about spirits and evil things a lot in this series. But you do know you're not really supposed to give a whole lot of energy to the negative stuff, right? Think on good things we talked about last week. Good things. Don't dwell on the evil that's going on out there. There's so much evil going on out there. Think on good things. God is so good and big. Why focus on the icky stuff all the time when there's such goodness? out there. So many of us poured way too much energy before becoming a Christian on the icky stuff. It's a privilege now to get to focus on the goodness, right? And when the overwhelming, we did this a lot. And I mean, we as a collective nation, we, during COVID, we were all stuck in our house and the news was sounding so bad. We went on these doom loop spirals, right? Focusing on all the bad going on in the world. There's so much good, too. I I started making gratitude lists during that time when I would go on these spirals, thinking, oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, and everything's so bad, and ugh. God is so good. He's done so much good in my life. And and I know of all the, like I started listing all the people who have done good things lately or, or God is changing them from the inside out, like the great discipleship moves that people around me have made lately and how proud I am of them. So much good out there. But anyway, we've been talking about this stuff a lot. And it's brought up a lot of stuff in the series and we're sort of cleaning house, which is a good thing. I think all of us have some of these stories. We, we've been repenting in this series and we've been taking land back from the enemy, right? But I've noticed so much fear among Christians and I realized I used to be that way too. I wanted to avoid, and I've been a Christian all my, all my life, ministry 14 years now. I wanted to avoid the subject of demons and ghosts and things like that go bump in the night, right? Anything that's scary. I didn't want to talk about it because I didn't know what I thought about it. I didn't know the word well enough. And honestly, I didn't know my own power. Did I know that Christians in general have power over them? Yeah, sure. Been on enough mission trips since I was 12 years old to see demons cast out and, and us go in and take over a city and have power over these things. But I guess I was afraid that I didn't have the faith. I needed to conquer things, and I wasn't ready. I didn't have the faith for it, so I'd rather let other people handle that. Listen, I actually literally remember going on a mission trip with Mission SOS when we were first married to Lesotho, South Africa, Uh, and I remember being pretty intrigued by what they call the demon tent. Mission SOS, (laughs) when they put on a big festival, they have hundreds of thousands of people, there will be these little skirmishes, and they go and they literally have guys that will 
go out and get the person who's manifesting, pick them up and take them to this tent. Now, I think they call it the deliverance tent, but it was nicknamed the demon tent. And I remember being like, like, I kind of want to volunteer, but I'm scared. <laughs> Too afraid to ask if I can go serve in the demon tent. Now it's absolutely ludicrous to think about what could possibly be scary about these puny, ugly, evil little demons. And when compared to the glory and majesty and goodness that I now know of God after studying this book for in depth for so many years now, please, it's not even a thought anymore. The evil, it has nothing over me. Nothing. Again, not that I'm perfect. I'm talking about sin. It's it's the evil presences that we've been talking about in the series. Puny, ugly little peons. They're nothing. And I had this memory a few months ago, maybe a year ago, actually. I don't think I've told you guys this story. When I was in the cafe one night, it was an evening, week, night. I was trying to fix the safe, I think, or something on the floor underneath the counter. And I was crouched down below the desk on the floor, and I remember I could hear a deliverance happening in a room across the hall. And you can immediately tell what it is. <laughs> and they're not hard to mistake. Uh, so I heard it, and I was like, what is that? Oh, yeah, Mike and Jody are probably here. Uh, and I, I went back to my working, and I suddenly felt something creeping up behind me. I could just feel it, something over my shoulder. And I turned and looked, and obviously there was nothing. And I could feel that it was a scary presence, right? Or meant to be scary. It was something that should have provided me with fear. But I wasn't scared. In fact, I think I literally, I was annoyed at the safe at the time. I remember being frustrated in general. But I remember looking over my shoulder, and I was like, get out. And I just kept working. I shrugged it off, and I went back to work. I got this sense in my spirit that whatever these guys were casting out in the other room was just looking around, seeing who else he could mess with in the vicinity, right? Checking out the area. He came creeping up on me. And so what? Not even a little bit scared. Get out. <laughs> go away was all I said. And I felt it leave. I mean, literally go. I don't even think I said in Jesus' name. Started speaking in tongues, any of it. I was just like, get off. Go. And I realized in that moment just how far I had come conquering fear. Just how far Jesus had brought me. I know who I am in Christ. I know what my calling on planet earth is or what my callings are. I know God is who he says he is. He will do what he says he's going to do. I, I know he's done it for me time and time and time again. How could I possibly doubt that when a little creepy, ugly gremlin sneaking around? Come on, do better, Satan. Try harder. <laughs> right? That's true protection against the enemy. To be able to walk into the lion's den confidently and not get a scratch like Daniel in the Old Testament. To come out unscathed. To walk into the fire like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And come out not even smelling like smoke. Why is that possible? Because Jesus is in that fire with you. Because Jesus is in that lion's den with you. There's this story, and I have no idea if it's true, but it's always stuck with me. Smith Wigglesworth was a uh, miracle worker, Pentecostal fire preacher in, I guess, the early 1900s. <clears throat> I heard a story once shared about him. He never felt threatened by the devil. 
Uh, he did healings and deliverances, and he was sometimes kind of violent about it. It's, it's a whole thing. But I remember this story, and I had to look it up. It literally goes, on one occasion, Wigglesworth awoke during the night, aware of a satanic presence. Looking across the room, he saw the devil himself standing there. Wigglesworth said to Satan, Oh, it's only you. And then he turned over and went back to sleep. <laughs> That's what I'm talking about. That's what I'm talking about. We have nothing to fear from that. We have Jesus. I don't even know if that story is true, but I love it. <laughs> it's what I've aspired to for ages because it's always stuck with me. I aspire to that level of faith that I, I'm not even threatened whatsoever by the inferior enemy. That is the word, the spirit, the sword of the spirit. And it is protection against the enemy. It is a weapon and taking ground from the enemy. The word is our sword. We have the very words of God. What words could he, Satan possibly say to overcome that? Nothing. I am begging you today. Fall in love with this book. Listen to it. Get the app. Research it. Use BibleTheGateway.com. Read it in King James for all I care. I don't like that version particularly, but read it in whatever. I actually knew this old rabbi, Rabbi Ed. It's a messianic rabbi. He used to say the best version of the Bible is the one that you read. Read it. Breathe it in. Eat it for dinner. <laughs> it is the very words of God. To neglect it makes no sense in the life of a believer. Fall in love with the word. It is life. It is breath. It is Jesus. It is love on every page. We don't win against the enemy by just calling out evil and judging the world and telling them how bad their behavior is. We win against the enemy by taking his ground. And believe me, going into battle with him, he's not timid and afraid of us. He's been doing this for thousands of years. He knows human nature. He knows us better than we know ourselves sometimes, right? But he does know and recognize authority. And he's terrified of the name, the very name of Jesus. When we actually know our authority, we suit up, we put all our armor on, we carry a big sword, we stack the deck so far against him, there is nothing to fear. We will win every time nothing to fear. So is it enough to just read the Word of God or to just have one? No. Know it. Practice it. Live it. That's how we ultimately win against the enemy. That's how we suit up. Amen? Father, we thank you and we praise you for your Word. I say this every week, but thank you for your Word. Thank you for your word. Not every generation in history has gotten words written down that we can actually go to and pick up and read. We are so blessed to have it, to have websites about it, to have commentaries all online, to, to be able to research and figure it out. God, thank you. We're grateful. Now use it, God, in our lives. Guide us with the Holy Spirit. Use it to correct us, to guide us to convict us when necessary, to show us 
how to live and how to love people better. Help us understand more deeply who you are and who we are because of you. Thank you for sending your son, God. That we can know him, know his behavior, his attitudes, his character because of the words on these pages. Thank you for sending your son to deliver us, to set us free, to lay down his life so that we don't have to. God, I pray today that every person in this room would know you better, would know your son, Jesus, that he died on the cross for their sins, that you are real, you are good, and you love us so much. You sent your son. Heads bowed and eyes still closed today, just to give everyone a little space in the room. If you're here today and you would say, I've never given my life to Jesus, I want to today. I want to know the word. I want to know this God, this heavenly father who is so much love. I want to know how to have a relationship with him. It has never been easier than since Jesus came. Jesus put himself up on that cross for you. He chose to make himself a living sacrifice that we don't have to sacrifice for our sins anymore, that we don't have to walk around with this guilt and shame because of all the ways that we don't measure up. We, we're not perfect, and God is. So how could we possibly come to him? The answer is you can't except through Jesus. Jesus made a way where there is no way. He loved you enough put himself on that cross to go through all the pain and, and the torture, shed his blood. They broke his flesh for you so that you can come to your heavenly father with head held high. No shame, no guilt, no condemnation in Christ. And all we have to do is call on the name of Jesus. Ask him to forgive our sins. Wash us in his blood. And then all God sees is Jesus in our lives. He doesn't claim any of our sins. In fact, he forgets them. He just sees Jesus, and we can now have a relationship with him. If that's something that you want today, all you have to do is say it. We call it saying, I'm in around here. It's just the hand raised if you're in the room or texting the number on the screen or typing I'm in in the comments, but that's all you have to do. The Bible says, confess with your mouth. Jesus is Lord. Call on the name of Jesus and you are saved. That God scoops you out of whatever darkness you're in, whatever pain, shame you're in, and he clothes you in Jesus. Picks you up and he dusts you off. He calls you his child. If you want that today, if it's something you've never You've never said I'm in. You've never said I want Jesus. Maybe it's just been a really long time. Would you just raise your hand if you're sitting in the room? I want Jesus. I'm in. I'm into having a relationship with him. If you're watching online, you can text the number on the screen or type I'm in in the comments. We would love to help you with that decision. One last time. Is there anyone in the room? I want Jesus. I'm in. 
Raise your hand up high. I just feel a little hesitation in my spirit from moving on. If you're feeling hesitation, let me just encourage you, don't run to him. Don't let any amount of fear or shame hold you back. There is no shame in Jesus. He's not going to say, but how could you? Why would you ever do? He's not going to wag his finger at you and call you unholy or something. He's just going to love you. Wrap his arms around you. Anybody like that in the room? I want to give my life to Jesus. Thank you. Keep that hand raised for just a moment. We're going to get you a little card. Anyone else? Okay. Maybe you're in the room today and you're saying, I, I haven't spent enough time in the Word. <laughs> That's just the, it's a real clear takeaway from this message. I need to get in the Word. I need to apply it in my life. I need to memorize Scripture. I need to pick up the 40 I am something. I need to make a move toward the Word of God. Study it. Breathe it in. Let it be my life. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Father, thank you for every single hand raised today that we are making moves toward you, that we are learning and growing together as the body of Christ. Father, inspire us with it. Convict us with it. Correct us with it. Thank you and praise you for your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right. Thank you, Pastor Candace. Good series. Good series. Amen. If you notice all of the other ones before the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, uh, see if I can say them all, shall your feet with the gospel of peace, the, the shield of faith, belt of truth, all defensive. But what is the sword? That's your offense. Use it. Use the word of God. The living word of God is your offense. Amen. Good, good series. Thank you, Pastor Candace, for spending all that time studying and bringing that to us. So we may go from glory to glory. We may be moving on. Amen. All right. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you made a decision to follow Jesus, please let us know by going to fv.church/imn. And remember to download our app for more content and helpful links.